Hello everyone and welcome to episode 13 of the Deerhorn. I'm your host Jay Ryan and this is the Seattle Lombard podcast for the curious and committed. I've been away for a while, not just from the podcast. Um, definitely had some difficult things happening in my personal life, so it's been really hard to get inspired and make this happen, but today's guest TJ who records as Celadon or Celadon.Wave has been a great friend to me in these difficult times. Um, He's recently released an EP in which one of my photographs got to be the cover and I couldn't be more grateful for that. But uh, yeah, we've been talking every day about everything and he's been a huge inspiration for me and pushing my photographic skills and trying to get back into music. So I decided that why don't we just do an episode of the podcast and we did it was a fun little chat i'm really happy to be back doing this and we talk about all the usual stuff in this episode uh, how he got started we talk about his most recent seattle lombard purchase which hasn't shown up yet but he surprises me with that on air Um, we talk a little bit about the ep we talk about the future of his work and I asked him if he wanted to make a track specifically for the transition between the intro and our conversation and he suggested that I post a snippet from um, his track that was on a compilation that Giraffe Tapes did for the Ukraine Um, I believe that's what it was called too yeah for my ukraine by giraffe tapes so he had a track on there called going down the big hill uh you'll hear a little snippet of that shortly um that was a great cause that he got to be part of and i also got to have a track on there and uh some other friends of the podcast did as well uh the lifted index was also on there and uh giraffe tapes specifically has been doing a really great job of helping out the ukraine in these times and um it was definitely good to be part of that and get to give back and i hope everyone out there found ways to get involved and support that as well i know the world's kind of messed up and shitty and it's hard to (laughs) it's just hard to exist sometimes i think so but hopefully yeah you found a way to to support that and um listen to some great music from some great artists and i mean there's been so many great things in support of that out there so it could be anything at all i just hope that you found ways to get involved and um i hope this episode brings you some happiness and peace in these difficult times and that's definitely always the goal over here so enjoy this conversation with tj check out his ep i'll put a link in the show notes and i hope to be back soon with more
my dad was really musical. He grew up in a really musical family. Um, his dad was a, um, a music teacher. And so he kind of grew up with, up with like a lot of classical music and, and stuff like that, which informed him a lot in his life. And so when I was a baby um, in the 80s, my dad was playing, you know, soundtracks and Mozart, but also Vangelis, you know, the Blade Runner soundtrack. And so that kind of informed me from a super young age about electronic music that I think from that point on as a little kid, I was constantly kind of chasing something like that. Um, but that never really felt like I caught it until more recently when I feel like the carrot is much closer than it used to be. And like, what do you think caused that exactly? Um, that's a good question. I, I think for me, I think I, I think I just lucked out. I think honestly, like I made the decision to try back playing music again. And after, you know, not playing for a really long time. And uh, I think I just lucked out on finding some inspiration and finding a group of people that were like really supportive. And also um, I could better articulate maybe like with age, I could better like articulate what I wanted to hear. And then the internet made it easier to find. Yeah, because I found like, I mean, I'm, how long exactly have you been doing it now, music? Um, well, so like, I mean, like every, every kid has a camera, you know, every kid has like a guitar or whatever when they're little. Um, I, I wanted to play, um, man, I think I was like, I started playing guitar when I was like maybe... 12 yeah like 12 a friend of mine played um a nirvana cover for me that he played and i was like that is sick i think i want to do that um and then uh my dad tried to convince me not to learn something so difficult (laughs) at the time he's like here are you know here's he bought me uh an acoustic guitar and he, he bought me the nirvana unplugged like music sheet and he's like, hey, here you go. Like, have fun. Teach yourself. And I did. I taught myself a lot of that stuff. But um, then I went to school. I went to boarding school and kind of played a little bit with some friends there, but didn't really feel it. And then I came back and then stopped playing for a while. And then my siblings and I got back into it. Um we used to have like a little band that we'd play together with me and my two younger siblings. And one would play the bass, one would play the drums and I would play guitar and or synthy stuff, you know, in Ableton. And that just like, I ended up not enjoying that. Like I wasn't getting anything out of that, that I wanted, you know, like it still felt like I was far away from the sound that I wanted or, um, uh, I, you know, we, we all pitched the three of us pitched together and bought a Moog like sub fatty and that was sick that was like okay i'm getting closer but then i i think um i was missing some of the musical theory that would help me jam you know like you can only like play the basic chords you know in the dark for so long before you're like you know this isn't doing it um but 
when I stopped doing that, uh, I think this is like 2012, I stopped until like July of last year, you know, like 10 years, nine, nine years, just stopped until um, I got the bug to, to pick it up and try it again. And like, where did you start from there? Like, what was the first thing you got? I, uh, I was inspired by, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I was inspired by Paul Thomas Anderson, who wanted to um, be a DP on his next film. Um, he said in an interview that he was, he was writing, directing, but really wanted to play a role in um, the, the camera operation and, and designing shots. And that informed me because like as a film editor, I'm doing that. Um, and I was thinking what other part, what could I play in a film that um, I would enjoy and would be a challenge, but it is also kind of adjacent to what I'm doing. And that was soundtrack stuff. So I was listening to the soundtrack for Mandy, which is like insane. The best. So good. Yeah. The best. So fat, so big. Um, and I was like, what would be the cheapest uh, entry point to make sounds similar to that? And I got a micro freak because it's big. It can be big. Um, you have the, the opportunity to, to do a little bit of like patching, you know, if it in its own matrix. And then I got really close. I made a patch that sounded exactly like that soundtrack. And I posted it to Instagram and I was like, okay, hey, here's, this is gonna be my musical journal for my like time in playing music and learning things and posting things as I get stoked about them. So that's kind of where I started back. I love the like journal thing. Cause that's like kind of the perfect way to look at Instagram. I think, you know, when you're yeah. using it for art, I think it, rather than take it too serious. And I think, especially in the music community, you see that where people are just like, this is like this sketch. I used this and tried this, blah, 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 blah. It, mm -hmm. It's very rare that someone's like, here's the track, unless it's like album yeah. promo or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I think from that, I also found um, some fast friends and some support that I think... I was not experiencing on like the photo side of Instagram either. Um, uh, I just found some people that were like, this is sick, really supportive, um, keep going. And, and I think that was like the fuel that I, I needed to know that I wasn't like just fucking up and like, you know, speaking in a, in a vacuum that like there was someone out there that this might be resonating with. And, and I think that that definitely motivated me to keep trying and to keep expanding that and learning a lot and, you know, pushing myself to learn as much as I could. So did your time like playing guitar and and with the sub fatty or whatever before, did that did you learn enough theory then that it made it easier for you to like approach ambient stuff? Because it seems to me that you have a really good sense of it for yeah, like my friend Patrick and I would um, play Radiohead songs together, like teach each other those songs. Um, OK Computer was like, you know, mind blowing to me too as a kid. Um, and so that finding stuff like that, that was like guitar plus electronic, um, definitely 
cued my interest into learning those songs and then understanding what made those songs so interesting. And so it, I would, you know, look at whatever key that song was playing in and, and whatever BPM that was and, and play with it. And understanding that there was a key, I think helped, was like the little tiny thread that helped me like learn more about like, well, what key was that in and like why, um, how did these notes go together? And so back playing with the guitar and the sub fatty, um, I think I printed off all of the keys, you know, on pieces of paper that I would like noodle with. But then I just got burnt out. You know, that was when um, I printed out all of those all those papers and then I think it was too late. But then coming back to it, it definitely gave me that jumping off point that, oh, these things exist and, and I'm going to teach myself, you know, these keys or at least memorize them on 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 the keyboard so that I can sit and you know play like a um, a minor pentatonic and whatever I'm playing goes together and that was like the jam part of it that I needed way back then that I didn't feel like I could jam but now I can just sit down and play things that go together and then the intuition kind of just takes over and you explore different sonic aspects yeah, no, I get that for sure. And I like, uh, when I was writing with guitar and stuff, you'd kind of have to write for your voice as well. You know, like there's certain mm-hmm. keys that you sing in better or your voice is more naturally suited to. So that was kind of a fun thing for me coming to ambient where my voice wasn't part of it because I could kind of just explore whatever. Yeah. And then. I'm giving away <laughs> how I work right now, but I did some research and found that like most lullabies and like kids mm. songs were in C major, like a major key. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much everything I think I've done so far has just been in that key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm stuck in a key too, um, for sure. So I get that. All the black keys, that's where I'm stuck. Oh, that see that was my key when I was singing, like C sharp, E. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess E is not a black key, but it works well with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the E major pentatonic. Yeah. Yep. But uh, now I'm trying to, for whatever I do next, when I do jam, I'm forcefully trying to get away from that and explore something different. Yeah. The th- the thing is with the the C major, I found like it was almost like an instant nostalgia because it did have like the melodies were very childlike and mm, yeah and nursery rhyme but it, i mean you gotta grow i can't play in c major forever <laughs> <laughs> why not no just kidding yeah no but it, it's those things that you, it makes you want to like push harder and 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 do more when um i mean, just like in photography you know like you get kind of um you want to explore new ways of expressing yourself and i think that's definitely you know part of it what are the other keys doing you know yeah for sure yeah so okay so after the micro free like when so you started that journal and then how did that grow from there i know you like met people you got some positive feedback but kind of how did that lead you to where you got And, and the reason i'm like really prying at this is because I do feel like you picked it up really quick. Mm, that's a good question. I I went from the micro freak to well, I mean I'd be lying if I didn't just like 
you know, Google what uh, is part of like building, you know, a um, an ambient track or whatever in hardware. Because I don't like, you know, you know, like most of us, we sit in front of computers most of the of the day, and so I wanted to do whatever I could to get away from, you know, a screen. And so I looked at just like what hardware existed out there, and a lot of it was pedals, you know. And so um, I got hyped on the Chase Bliss stuff. I got really hyped on the Microcosm, um, and then that led me to the Nor- Norns and the Lions community, and um, just being kind of like a silent observer and reading about things and and talking to people about stuff and. So I got, um, after the Microfique, I got a Digitact um, because that was like a good access point to sampling and and playing with myself, I think I needed that. Um, And then, um, and then the Norns um, definitely got me into some other things. And then the Norns led me to uh, a bunch of really inspirational um, scripts and then that kind of like spread out into other pieces of hardware and, and stuff like that yeah because you have two norns now don't you i do yeah <laughs> it, it's so funny i think like almost everyone that's been on the deer horn is uh an advocator of norns yeah yeah like i think for yeah it, it was it it's big there's a lot on um and what that can do can i think be kind of paralyzing um but i've had i've had an op1 since they came out it sat in a box for most of the time and the battery died i think for the most part but um when i quit and it was just like a natural pairing i could sit down and like noodle some things and i always um the the mono early on was a really like interesting thing to me and watching Daedalus play and, and do sets. Um, that was really cool. And I think he was like an early proponent of the, of that thing. Um, and so when I sat down, like I ordered the, the shield, I put it together and instantly a lot of different ideas opened up that were off of like the grid and off of, uh, no pun intended. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> outside of like the normal 4-4, you know, which is like another part of the thing that I got stuck on playing um, traditional you know, music with a guitar. Um, and that uh, led me to the script by Matt Otis. And then that led me into CL stuff. Okay. Big time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you went Coquaquanas first? Yeah, because like I, so the the two the two um, the two sided looper was sick. I loved playing with the with that, and then he mentioned his you know inspiration from Otis was the Coquaquanas, and I thought that was such a cool looking word, you know. Um, I and I just I just looked up Coquaquanas, and then it lo- not only did the word look cool, but all of the shit looked really cool. And so, again, like thirsting for that hardware um, and wanting something more tactile, that's, I picked up the Coco after that. Um, it took me a while to do it because it, 
I didn't feel, one, the, there weren't many used available at the time. And I was a little nervous with ordering, you know, through um, Patchpoint and importing it and all of that. All of that. So I just waited until one cho- like was available used. And then I just dove on it, like no questions asked as soon as, soon as it popped up. And like, did you connect with it instantly, you feel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember like my first post after getting it was like I had died and gone to heaven. I was like, everything makes sense. Like, this is exactly what I want. Like, I remember when I was learning live and logic back in like 2005, the bit crusher was like the first thing I put on anything that I was playing when I was learning it. Um, and so that, and like, again, being a kid of the eighties and that like eight bit, 16 bit kind of thing was just like, yeah, this is dirty and it's, and it's beautiful at the same time. Cause I remember recently, I think we went back and I checked out one of like your first posts and we were talking about it and I was like, man, you got that speed down low. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put it low. Like give me that low sound too. You know, like I'm a sucker for the low stuff. I, I just think it's too like some people sometimes maybe want to tame it when they first experience it. Yeah. So the fact yeah. that you were, polar opposite I thought was rad like I just want this to be as gritty and you These know get like grimy you know but like but inside of that stuff um, it, it's all of like the imperfections that I think we're, be- we're beginning to see seek out in like an analog community is like how can things feel more organic and feel less perfect um, and it's not a filter you know it's like an actual you know flawed quote-unquote piece of equipment that makes it more individual and and more yeah more organic feeling yeah that's definitely what makes it feel alive Mm -hmm. because i talked to you about this before but that's kind of why i struggle with things like the dig attack and the octatrack because i can record loops and i can have them go out of phase or whatever and play Mm -hmm. out of time but it is still that exact same perfect thing looping over mm-hmm. and over. And then, yeah, you bring in probability or whatever, but it never feels organic to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much that um, a computer that's programmed to be random um, can actually be random, you know? If, if something's truly random, then, then like a, a trig can um, happen 10 out of 10 times. You know, so like in programming, you have to like program some kind of like probability light, so to speak, you know, in order for things to feel random than actually being fully random. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know like we've talked about this, too, but a lot of people use those and compose and I love their music and it doesn't sound static. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't know what it is personally where... I need things to feel that way. Like the whole thing has to feel that way. I don't know what it is. It really bothers me. <laughs> yeah, no, like, well, when a, when a grid exists, it, it beckons you to like exist in that space, you know? Um, I've had some, some great luck doing some a- asynchronous stuff on the Octatrack, which I 
now can't do with like I couldn't do without it. It is like the heart of like what I use. Um, and I sold the Digitact because that was sitting in a box and this was doing exactly what I wanted it to do in stereo and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, but I know what you mean though. There is that like, it tugs you back all the time. And so that's kind of the stuff, uh, the, the cocoa and the plum and those kinds of things. You don't have like a BPM setting. You don't have, you just feel it out. And those probabilities and, and like the chaos knob that you tweak that, you know, that gets you into some like wide open space pretty quick. So how soon after Coco did you go for Plum? Well, like I wanted one right, right away. And and like I start, I found your podcast, you know, and you are such a huge proponent of the Plum and filtering with it and using that as a, a not only just an audio source, but a thing to put stuff through. And it, it just, I don't know the time frame because it's gone so fast since I started and you know, like you've commented, like I'm going ham, you know, <laughs> but, um, but it, it was like the, the tonality of it, the ability to put stuff through it that, you know, in the look of it too, it's just right here that it just like, I wanted to play one so bad. And so I think it was maybe a few months, you know, same kind of thing, like felt nervous about ordering from across the pond. Um, and just felt it out until it like kind of felt right and I snagged one also used were you a little more nervous about going plum than cocoa yeah um because my mind figured out cocoa so quickly um that not only is it like a source to loop things but also to do you know a self-contained uh, you know generation of sound and 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 that I got really quickly, but there's just so much. I think Coco to me is more logical looking in how it's laid out. Um, Plum, now that I know it, is extremely logical. Um, but like you commented, I think I, I talked to you a lot about it when I was leading up to it, is that it just didn't make much sense. And your suggestion was like, you just have to sit down with it before um, you are you you get too worried about figuring it out um it'll inform you and that was the truth like you gave me some patch sheets and stuff to like sort of wrap my head around it but um there's a lot to plumb you know and i think uh you don't have to use all of it to love it you know um that you can find your sound in it and there's other folks out there that are doing like the wildest, coolest sounding shit. And I'm like, how do you do that? I know that if I sat down and um, intentionally tried to make something that sounded like that, I could as much as Plum would allow anyone to like do something repeatable. Um, but uh, um, it all like my nature is always to go back towards to like what I'm the sound I'm looking for in it for myself. So it's very like individual instrument for sure. Yeah. And I wonder a lot, especially with all the talk about it on this podcast over the time and stuff. I, I wonder if part of that is because you can run things into it 
or use it on its own or any combination of that for that matter like that opens Mm -hmm. a lot of doors yeah yeah and and yeah because it it can make you know those plucky wooden sounding gongs that work great as you know bass or tom but when you run something into the av dogs and those are like modulating like crazy and you you put your own sounds through them and then modulate that with the ultrasound and all that kind of stuff it just gets like so nutty and that that was like huge in learning like just about synthesis and about like um it was it the plum's been a huge like educational tool for me to learn what all of these wave shapes do and how they can fm and all that kind of stuff um and and whatever you put in it just can sound absolutely nutty and chop it up you know yeah yeah I'm still kind of shocked you don't have a Sidrax yet, but uh, but well, I, this I'm, this this might be a little surprise is that I, I just ordered one. I was just, I was gonna wait for the pod to tell you. <laughs> I was just gonna say I'm like, judging by what you've told me so far, I'm like, Kay doesn't want to order from Patchpoint, so as soon as one pops up, used, he's in. <laughs> yeah, and and I I got over my my nerves. I I saw that um. Uh, Patchpoint said that they had them in stock and that they would ship within like one to four weeks. And I was like, perfect. You know, like I can, I'm, I feel safe enough to do that. I know that a lot of the shipping issues that were happening in the last few months are, aren't as gnarly now. Right. Um, and I'm with my 208, I wanted something to play along with that where I could sequence the 208 and have something poly that I could build some like bigger feeling things out of, just r- using it unpatched, and then also experimenting with patching that into Coco and and the Plum. Yeah, yeah. And, and the uh, Sid I found too is super fun to just like patch like crazy and then sample your textures yeah. and stuff. So yeah. then you can free it up to still play it as an yeah. Order, you know? Oh. I'm so pumped. Like, I'm so excited because, yeah, it, it like, just having those, that ability to play poly, because I don't have, I still have the Micro Freak, but um, I don't have any other instruments that play polyphonically, you know? My make noise stuff is all mono, the 208 is mono, happily, you know? Um the syntax is mono, you know, like that is a beautiful, beautiful sound, what I've been able to get out of that recently. But I wanted something to build, yeah, some polyphony with. And the thing with Sidrax compared to the other ones is it's not overwhelming. I, I think it might take a long time for someone to become like truly exceptional with. Yeah. Um, but straight out of the gate, you can tune it up and play it and, and learn how it responds compared to mm-hmm. something like your 208 where there's a lot of death there immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And I, and I think too, the, they're very, they're both very, um, 
much calling for experimentation, but the 208 is all laid out for you with text, you know, that tells you this go, you know, this is here, this is here, and you can patch it um, and have a little bit of a better idea of what's happening and why. And I think with the SID, from the little that I know about it, is that there are the, the inputs and outputs are, you know, you know what they are, but I think there's a, a, a quite a bit of experimentation without the text leading you along that I think it, it, on the SID instead. Yeah, and the other thing that I've learned over time and like really experimenting with it is that a lot of the things on SID, as much as it is repetitions of the same thing per bar, they all behave very differently depending on what everything else does. So very it's cool. It's another very Peterish thing where you you might think you can kind of dial in exactly what's going on, and then one modulation changes that. I I love that. I love that stuff. I I love the unpredictability. Um, within side of its own. Pre- you can predict that it will be unpredictable. You know, I like that kind of stuff. And it seems like with this stuff, people generally decide pretty quick if it's for them or not. Because if I yeah, think, I think that's exactly it. What you're saying, that's what most of us love. And if you get it and you don't love or embrace that, then it's it's maybe not the right thing. Like it often. Yeah seems to me like someone will get it flip it within a week or they'll get it and uh (laughs) never let it go yeah and um you know people have talked about like filtering out some of the the noise and the cocoa and you know that couldn't be me you know if i wanted something that sounded a little cleaner then i'd find out fire up otis you know and have something adjacent to that kind of looping that I wanted, um, or sound or whatever. Um, but the, like we talked about the other day, the sheer fact that they're in here, um, not being used is still inspirational to me that there's something that by proxy, they just kind of like exude this different thing to me that makes me try other things or I'll be looking at either the cocoa or or plum and get an idea of something that I want to try in the Octatrack or, you know, or make something kind of chaotic on with a drum machine, you know, they, they offer up a lot of inspiration without even like turning them on. So you recently put out an EP. What, Mm. what made you decide that you wanted to do an EP? You. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, straight up, I think I think it was your, I think, support and saying, hey, you're ready to put something out and um, put a little bit more work into something outside of a post to, to IG. And um, I was like, yeah, I, I want to. And I was nervous, too, because it's a it's a different kind of world and it's feels more official, you know, a little bit more like. Um, uh, a little bit more serious, you know? And so uh, I got a little, like, gun-shy from that for a minute. But, you know, 
it, it was just your definitely your support and saying, hey, you should you know give it a try. You should do it. Like at the very least, you know, do an EP. And I was like, yeah, I think I could do that. You know, I could. And for I think that was what from sometime in November until sometime in December, January, that I was just like decided to sit down with a, a little bit more intent in what I was doing and trying to formulate a sound that's mine. Um, and then when I kind of found little bits, then then I decided to go for it more and um, and put something out. It's funny. I'm just on your band camp right now on my phone and I'm, I'm looking at the people that supported you and you can definitely tell there's a community uh, around... I don't want to say around this, but there's a community of people that have been on this show that definitely picked up your EP. <laughs> yeah, and which which is uh, which is kind of crazy because I look up to those people so much. Um, yeah, me too. And um, not that their like approval is what's getting me to make music, but when they showed up and and supported it and listened to it. Or didn't and just bought it, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Still feels um, good. Yeah, um, and and it's it was a big deal to have um, every single person that purchased it um, to me because it was like this this thing that made me feel that like okay, I'm still doing something that um, is for me, but other people are are vibing with it. Um, and every single person that I bought it, I think I reached out and thanked them personally because it, it was like a huge deal. And it's I think it's easy to forget that when you're just putting things out and you're getting praise from people. And um, but it was it was a big deal for me for sure. Yeah, and I definitely have to give you kudos for doing that. Like, it's not the hardest thing to do, but to actually take the time to do it is pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it shows that you care for sure. Yeah. And the other thing I want to say, I was listening to it again this morning, just mm. getting it fresh in my ears before we talk, but I, I love the low end. And mm. I, I think I say that to a lot of people on the podcast. And I started to think, I'm like, is that just because there's never any in what I do? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know though, because I was listening to a lot of your stuff, and um, I wouldn't say it's like you know deep and and like fat, but there there are things that fill up that space that make it feel really full um, in your work. And so, yeah, like I I, I don't know. I, I think I think maybe it's just something. The low end, I think, can offer us a lot of grounding and and it, the. And it feels like emotional. It feels like you're connecting with something in the low end and the highs in, in a in a track keep you interested, but the lows are like what kind of like hit you in your soul a little bit more. Yeah, because it's more felt than heard. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, because, well, like, I mean, yeah, the bass is really, really good on all of this, but the whole thing is like the thing that impressed me most with, you and how long you've been doing this and is your uh level of restraint like mm. 
you are very delicate and patient, but in like the best possible way. And and that's hard, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I that's a huge compliment because I think um, film editing informs that a lot. You know, like um, in editing a, a show, you're trying to keep people interested without feeling overwhelmed all the time. You're you know you you're giving them little bits of information that uh, keeps them intrigued and. Um, but isn't like ruining the ending, you know? And so, uh, editing film or television and music have a lot of overlap, like we've talked about, because it's pace, you know? Um, and so that's, that's awesome that that's coming across because I, by no, no means like intentionally did that, you know, but I think it just comes from, um, that other part of me. For sure. Well, I know, like, even when I put it on first thing and I was listening to the first track, Six by Seven, and just the, like, dynamics and stuff, too, like, there's very spacious parts, and then all of a sudden, like, boom. Yeah, sick. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That, that that's like that, you know... Um, it, it's a, a payoff, you know, you hope that you can like pay off someone's interest in something by, um, offering that kind of restraint and then, you know, the setup and the payoff. Yeah. 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 And then you did this all live, but somehow managed to mix it all. So it doesn't sound that way. <laughs> yeah. I, um, that was the other part of me that I didn't. Um, I didn't use a DAW at all um, for it, besides um, doing some little tiny tweaks um, that I couldn't do on a mixer. But um, I, I performed each of those like so many times until either like they were mixed on the board correctly or in the Octatrack as I was bringing things in. And there were times where like um, each take was its own thing but also like it kind of bumped me out because there were parts of those takes that I really loved but then like I just blew the whole rest you know and so that's sort of the the fun in performing it is that it that's like the for me part um and then if if I finally get a performance that I think is good enough to like call done then that's something that I feel is like good to share but you know each time like I sit down and do a take for something it could be like 15 times you know and each of those times is me learning something or um setting some some kind of parameter to allow another piece to to shine in in the mix rather than something else but yeah all those just were recorded to like a field recorder through through a mixer what I find interesting about that is I hadn't considered it before but oftentimes the things that I will share online, like as in Instagram or YouTube, mm-hmm. and not things that are on a record, are things I made that were sweet, or I thought were sweet, but didn't get the take. But I'm like, there's a minute in here somewhere that yeah. is like good enough. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. So definitely to hear you say that, I'm like, oh, maybe that's what it is. I'm like, I know this isn't a track as a whole performance thing, but there's definitely something in here cool enough to share. Yeah, that that's the journal part of it, I think, that um, I sat down and, and put something together and it's either the beginning of something or it's like the chunk of something that um, I can flesh out and make into a track or or it was a failed track, but with like a little snippet that I think I liked a lot. So did you put any like specific creative restraints on yourself before you made this or did you just kind of go with the flow? Um, part of it was I wanted to utilize different pieces that I have um, because I'm a huge proponent of like use it or lose it. And that's not like everything I have in my um, studio has to be used on, on this, but I definitely, um, I had some pieces that I wanted to experiment with for sure, but not just make it, you know, a track of nothing but like X or Y that there should be some kind of like overlap. So, you know, I, I used the Strega on a, on a track that was there literally just to modulate sounds from a tape, you know? So it, it was just like dusty and dirty and like way back there, but I wanted to build with those kinds of things. Um, and then primarily was just going with the CL stuff and getting whatever I could out of that. Um, and there were some tracks too that I just didn't feel like went as the EP um, that I have on a hard drive, but um, they had to felt feel cohesive. It had to be um, a bit of a, like a story for me so and that that's why I chose the photo that you shot for it because I felt like a motel has this collection of people and stories inside them um, that are doing their own you know living their own lives but have some kind of like shared experience um, and so uh, it reminded me of like being on the coast in Oregon and kind of like traveling and feeling kind of lonely and asleep with the TV on, you know, that just is something that like, um, I do when I'm alone and I can't fall asleep. Like as a kid, I'd put on the weather channel to fall asleep. Um, cause it was like, you know, people kind of in a monotone voice, like talking about the weather, um, with some quasi relaxing music. Um, and yeah, it, it had to feel like cohesive to me. And, and I think your photo was really important in, and designing a, a loose narrative that I could kind of put those tracks into their own rooms, you know? Well, first of all, thank you very much for using it. I mean, you already know this, but I had literally made a note in my phone. Like one of my goals for the year was have someone use a photo as an album cover. And then it was like a week or two later, you were like, hey. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I, I hope it wasn't, you know, it, it, I still am super, super thankful because your photos offer a lot of inspiration to me. And so it like only felt right that it went together. But I remember I was even questioning you because I'm like, I don't know if your music suits this. Yeah. And I was like, no, it does. Yeah. Let me tell you why. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember once it came out and I listened to it all and seen it together with that, I'm like, Nah, you nailed it. 
Cool. Yeah. Oh man, that makes me so stoked. That was such a cool moment. Well, I want to do more, you know? Uh, it, it's taken me some time to try to formulate uh, another approach to making music. And right now I'm just like in the experiment phase. The 208 was kind of my gift to myself after finishing the EP, um, something that I always wanted. And was another thing that I feel like you do really well um, and have spent a lot of time with. And um, I'd be lying if I didn't say like your tracks and your album definitely like in, informed that decision because it it's something again that like chasing the organic, you know, real alive feeling thing that I think that does so well. Um, and so right now I'm just in like big time exploration phase with that and getting more into rhythmic stuff like you know making beats and designing sound designing kicks and and snares and hats like that to me I'm just like so inspired and so um, I'm just like in that zone right now that like just making sounds and not really making tracks right yet um, but I've had some, you know, a few nuggets that I'm I'm putting aside that I'll definitely like flesh out into other things. But yeah, right now it's like big time exploration phase. I wanted to ask you too, we were talking the other night and you posted one of your rhythmic videos like later in the day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no one will probably see it at this point. Um, but whatever, I, I was really stoked and wanted to share it. Was that the one that like blew up kind of? That was, yeah. Um, I, well, was it? Yeah, I think it was. I, I think either, it was, I, yeah. Yeah, either of those to me was just like, I'm so fucking hyped on on this like thing that's getting me moving um, that I think uh, brings some kind of ambientness into it. But to me, it was just like making like tracks that like make you want to move because it's like the sun's coming out. Like, you know, we're going outside. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't think anyone would care because, again, it was like, I'm stoked on this, I'm going to share it, but I don't know if anyone will even see it, and that's okay, you know. But it did kind of blow up a little bit. <laughs> that's <laughs> It's so funny. So I'm like, maybe uh, you figured out the secret to the algorithm is whenever you feel like it's an awful time to post. Post it. Post it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, when in I, doubt, just post it. I meant to ask earlier on, because this is kind of a start of talking question, mm-hmm. but what is your, like, how do you pronounce your your name, like your recording? Oh, Celadon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a color. It's is like it? a bluish, greenish color. Yeah. Like kind of like your sweater there? Um. Yeah, kind of. It, it's like um, it's kind of like, you know, the color of like a. I mean, I've seen, and play on words, I guess, but like ocean waves that look that color. But it's like a deep kind of greenish, bluish mixture, and you know, I, I like we were talking about when I was naming the tracks for my EP. Like, I don't, I don't know names. Like, it just seems it can seem really convoluted and silly to like put a name to something. Um, that was just like I like the look of that word and I like the color and so I went went with that and you know the wave part is obviously like a play in words for music but um yeah 
words are silly, but but yeah. Yeah, no, but that's cool. I think it's cool that the wave part of it has more of a meaning now than just the musical part of it. Yeah, like it just you know, I'm I'm a after living on the coast for a while and or near the coast for a while. I love the ocean, man. There's like nothing um that I love more in the environment than being by the ocean and the energy that it brings in and kind of the energy that it takes out um, definitely uh, recharges me. Like when I I was just on, did a drive from San Jose down to San Luis Obispo and spent most of that time on the coast. And man, it was just like, it it brings it back and it feels so good. So is is yeah, it's like kind of natural that that um, was informed by the ocean and, and stuff. 